Welcome to Truly Creepy with Brittany and Sarah. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am doing wonderful. How are you? Good. Your hair looks really cute. Thank you. I got up before my alarm this morning, so I actually had time to do my hair. <laughs> Look at you go. Three months in and you're adjusting to that new wake up time. <laughs> well, okay. So I didn't have to be at work until six o'clock this morning. So Ooh, you got to sleep in. <laughs> I got to sleep in a little bit, which was nice. But tomorrow it's So your tomorrow. body probably was like, Oh no, we're late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I woke up before my alarm and I was like, okay, well, I'm awake now. So let me actually, you know, do my hair instead of just throwing it up in a ponytail. But that is all over because tomorrow I have to be at work at 4.30. Oh, that's so early. Yeah. I hope to still be asleep then. Well, another uh, another clinic that I traveled to, we had to be there at 4. Ew. So I was waking up at like 2.45. Gross. But that means I would get off at a decent hour. I mean, I was off work by like 1 o'clock, so. Oh, dang. It was worth it. I could come home, take a little nap. That's even earlier than I get off. (laughs) Today I got off. (laughs) And I've got my Dunder Mifflin mug. Oh, that's so cute. Thank you. I got off work at noon today, so that was fun. I technically didn't work today, but I've been very busy. Yeah, it seems like it. So. Well, I'm I'm ready to sit back and relax and listen to, I guess, not really relax. I was going to say there probably won't be any relaxing happening today because I'm going to tell you about a serial killer. And I'm going to start off with a trigger warning for sexual assault, especially uh, that against a child. So if that is not something that you want to listen to, feel free to skip ahead. Totally understand. And I'm going to get into it. So we are going back to the 1970s, 1980s in the United States when we were rife with serial killers, especially out there on the West Coast. Um, And, you know, there's just a really big, there were a lot of people active, a lot of serial killers active during this time. So um, when asked about uh, today's killer, two people who encountered him said and you, these are exact quotes, uh, kind of good looking, but kind of creepy, and that they started to feel ill and he was acting really creepy. So call it intuition hmm. or call it divine intervention, but these two individuals lived to tell about meeting a man who later claimed to have killed between 50 and 100 people. Today we're going to talk about Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer. Do you know anything about him? That sounds very familiar. You've probably heard of him because he's called the dating game killer, but he is one of the more notorious killers because of the large number that they believe that he killed. I'm pretty sure I know who this is. Okay. 
So Akala was born in San Antonio, Texas in 1943. And when he was eight years old, his father moved the family to Mexico only to abandon them there three years after the move. After his father's abandonment, his mom moved the family to Los Angeles, California. And this is where he grew up. Uh, in 1961, at the age of 17, Alcala joined the United States Army and served as a clerk until he was given a medical discharge in 1964 following a nervous breakdown where he was diagnosed with an antisocial anti personality disorder. This all After sounds familiar. Yes, and especially in the 60s, obviously, they didn't know a lot about mental health yet so a lot of the terms that were used were umbrella terms and are no longer even in the dsm-5 or in diagnoses mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. uh, so after being discharged from the military akala attended california state university and then transferred to ucla he graduated in 1968 with a fine arts degree and he would later use an alias to attend new york, new york university akala was found to have an iq of 135 percent of 135, putting him in the top 1% for intelligence. It's like super genius. Goodness gracious. Um, and this likely aided him when he was participating in his criminal activities. So I'm going to give that trigger warning again because we're going to get into his first victim. Not long after graduating from UCLA, Alcala committed his first attack. This attack was on an eight-year-old named Tally Shapiro, Alcala had lured her into his apartment and beat her with a steel bar and raped her before leaving her for dead and escaping. Someone driving by had seen Alcala luring the child into his apartment and called the police. Unfortunately, when they had gotten there, Alcala had escaped. However, they did find Tally Shapiro clinging to life and she survived the attack. Oh, thank gosh. So after he fled the scene, he fled to the East Coast and used an alias John Berger to enroll in NYU's film school. And while attending the film school, he spent the summer months as a camp counselor at a New Hampshire art camp for children using the slightly different alias of John Berger. So the first one was B-E-R-G-E-R. -E the second one, B-U-R-G-E-R. -E so he was super clever when he changed that one little letter in wow. the last name of his alias. So, you know. Keeping a low profile here, this man who had beaten and raped an eight-year-old was now a camp counselor. So that's that's wonderful. Go seventies. I guess we're in the late sixties here. Um, so how old was he at this point? Like twenty? What was that? Early 22? to mid twenties. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. I mean, not like it matters, but like. So he. I just don't understand. I feel like people used to get away with these ale. The aliases so much back then yes like, and this i mean obviously they didn't have the technology we have today and that's kind of how all of these serial killers were so active for so long because we didn't have the means that we have now yeah because it's like how do you enroll in a whole ass college without like a social security card like number yeah. or anything like you just I mean, give your name it, it was in. 1968 my dad was like a toddler <laughs> yeah like hadn't started grade school yet so it was a different time then and he had quickly uh climbed into the fbi's 10 most wanted 
after he had fled Los Angeles. And in 1971, two campers noticed a wanted poster at the post office that had Alcala's picture on it or a sketch of him and told the camp directors. The police were called and Alcala was arrested and sent back to California to face charges. Unfortunately, at this point, Tally Shapiro's parents had moved their family to Mexico and refused to let her come back to California to testify against him. And without her testimony, they were unable to convict him of rape and attempted murder. But he did plead guilty for a lesser charge. He served 34 months before being paroled in 1974. At this time, there was a program called indeterminate sentencing, which allowed inmates to be paroled once they showed signs of rehabilitation. This is how Alcala was paroled. Too bad he wasn't, you know, even relatively rehabilitated, and it wouldn't be long before he was at his old games again. Less than two months after being over that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Less than two months after being released. So really stuck it out on the straight and narrow there, my friend. He was arrested again, this time for violating his parole and providing marijuana to a 13-year-old girl who claimed to have been kidnapped. He served two years for this and then was again paroled under the same indeterminate sentencing program. And this is seriously the dumbest thing because these guys always, like you will get back at these stories and it's always like, oh, he was arrested for this, but he got let off. He was arrested for this, but they paroled him. Like he's showing that he's a horrible person. And we're continuing to give him more chances. (laughs) Like, after the first time and then coming back two months later, you should probably think, "Eh, that's not the best idea for this gentleman. Exactly. So, after his release from his most latest crime, he was allowed to go to New York to visit relatives. Side note here, I'm not sure why they're letting him go all the way to the other side of the country when he's shown before that he will flee. But hey, I'm not in charge, so do whatever you got to do, Wow. I guess. Um, During this time, it's believed that he murdered a college student named Elaine Hoover. Hoover? Elaine was the daughter of a popular Hollywood nightclub owner and goddaughter of both Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. Oh. And we will come back to this later on. Uh, After his visit air quotes, visit to New York, Alcala returned to California. He was now a registered sex offender, but somehow got a job as a typesetter at the Los Angeles Times. (laughs) Yeah. So this was during the height of the Hillside Strangler murders, Mm -hmm. which I will cover at another point. But he was working at LA Times during that. So uh, did they just, like, not do background checks in the 70s? Did they not, like, get references? Like, hey, man, uh, where were you for these, like, five years? That might be where I've heard of him. Potentially. Because. Like, it it just, that. Because these qualities that the newspaper did not check for did, however, lead the police to interview him as a person of interest in the Hillside Strangler murders. Mm Mm-hmm. He was, however, cleared because somebody else was doing those. Yeah. Uh, they had no idea, however, that they were, in fact, interviewing a serial killer, just not the one they were looking for. Like, that's <laughs> that's how many serial killers were around California at this time, that they, like, interviewed them for the wrong crimes. That's just mind-boggling. Yeah. Like, 
you have someone right in front of your face and you don't even know it. Like if I was a, an officer at that time, I would feel so dumb after I found but everything technically, out. Technically, he'd already served time for the two things that he had done in California. And the other thing they think he did was in New York. So they had no idea about that one. Yeah. So, uh, but while he was working at the LA Times, he told dozens of women that he, or young women, because a lot of them were teenagers, that he was a fashion photographer and convinced them to let him take pictures for his professional portfolio. Many of these women remain unidentified and investigators believe that they could be more of his victims that have never been found. In 1978, Akal appeared as a contestant on The Dating Game, a game show where a bachelorette would question three bachelors hidden from her view. After questioning them, she would choose one to go on a date paid for by the show. I'm not sure how in the world he made it onto the show, let alone one, although his charm and demeanor probably helped aid him in that process. Mm -hmm. But again, do we just like not do research on contestants? Like he's a convicted rapist and a registered sex offender good he still can go on a game show um the quotes from the beginning of this episode were from the bachelorette and another bachelor that appeared on this show with him and alcala was actually chosen as the winner by bachelorette cheryl bradshaw however upon meeting him face to face she refused to go on the date because she found him creepy like she said in that quote from the beginning that she immediately started to feel ill and was very creeped out. She said she just wanted to get away from him. And so she mm -hmm. refused the date. On the show, Alcala was introduced as a successful photographer, which was obviously a lie because at this time he was working at the LA Times and was moonlighting as a creep luring young women into photo shoots and is suspected of killing several of those women. A criminal Eesh. profiler, Pat Brown, said that he, um, Alcala would not have taken the rejection well when Cheryl Bradshaw refused to go on the date with him after the show. And she speculated that this rejection could have been exasperating, could have been an exasperating factor in his next actions. But let me go out here and say that in no way is her rejecting him a reason to go for him to go kill people. Yeah, absolutely not. So at just like if you reject anyone, that does yes, not give you the no right to be. In no way is any of this her fault. He no. was already a creep and a killer before. You're and he allowed to, to say be no. so afterwards. Yep, exactly. Like, good for you following your intuition. Yep, absolutely. On June 20th, 1979, 12 year old Robin Samso of Huntington Beach disappeared between the beach and her ballet class. Robin's friends said that a stranger had approached them about doing a photo shoot at the beach. But they declined, and Robin used a friend's bike to get to ballet class, which she was running late for. Her decomposing body was found 12 days later in the foothills of Los Angeles. After the discovery of her body, police asked Robin's friends to describe the stranger who had approached them at the beach, and a composite sketch was created. Alcala's former parole officer recognized the sketch as resembling Alcala and informed the police and the police later found an earring in a Seattle locker rented by Alcala that belonged to Robin. Oh, no. So with the description from Robin's friends, the identification of the sketch by his former parole officer and his her earring being found in his locker, Alcala was arrested and charged with Robin's murder. <clears throat> 
Akala went to trial for Robin's murder in 1980 and was sentenced to death. However, the conviction was overturned by the California Supreme Court because the Orange County Superior Court allowed the jury to hear about his past convictions of rape and kidnapping. I know that this is how the justice system works, that past convictions are not supposed to be used in a current court case, but man, does it make me angry that they overturned that death sentence. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get it. They're not supposed to mention things that happened in the past. It's only supposed to be about this one crime. But the fact that, like, that got in and that's the reason, like, somebody didn't do their due diligence there. Yeah. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yes. So Alcala was retried in 1986. So it took them six years to get him back in court for a second trial. And again, he was sentenced to death. But, and this makes me angry, it'll make you angry, it was again overturned in appeals, in part because a witness was not allowed to support the defense's upset over the park ranger who found Robin's body being under hypnosis by the investigators. So basically, they didn't let one of their witnesses support the defense being upset by investigators putting the park ranger under hypnosis, which, again, I understand, <laughs> but it's like, come on, guys. That sounds <laughs> like have, such a, like, You have one job, and it's like, and it is, and it's, but it's these little technicalities that you have to watch for because that's when these people get off. Like, they find these little technicalities, and that's why you have to cross your T's and dot your I's and cover every single base. Yeah. You know, three or four times just to make sure you're not making these little mistakes because then people will walk free. Yep. So, a third trial was held in 2010, 31 years after the murder. Oh my We're jumping, gosh. you know quite a bit ahead here. Um, before this trial, Orange County Senior Deputy District Attorney Matt Murphy told LA Weekly, the 70s in California was insane as far as treatment of sexual predators. Rodney Alcala was a poster boy for this. It is a total co comedy of outrageous stupidity. And honestly, I think that's an understatement. Yeah, it's a joke. It like, feels yes, like they just made a, a whole mockery of the whole thing. It's a total comedy of outrageous stu stupidity. Yeah. But it's insane because this happens to so many serial killers during this time period. And he's oh, yeah. completely right. He's they, you know, the way they handled these guys was not correct. But I mean, I get they were doing what they knew to do, I guess. I don't know. Like, I go back and it makes me so angry. Like hearing these stories from the 70s and 80s because I'm like, yeah. but you had them and then you let them go. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I've seen that quite often too where it's like or it's like if it would have only been like 10 years later they would have been able to catch them with like the different technologies a lot yes. sooner yes um <clears throat> so alcala had been incarcerated since his original arrest for robin's murder back in 1979 so he was at least off the streets and while he was in prison his dna was collected as part of a program to keep prisoner dna on file for evidence and he was extremely opposed to his DNA being taken. But when you're in prison, you don't really get to make a lot of choices for yourself. So yeah, he lost that battle. And once his DNA was on file, they were able to connect him to four murders with DNA evidence. And they combined these charges with the third trial for Robin Samso's murder in the 2010 trial. So it ended up that waiting that long to try him the third time ended up bringing them more DNA evidence. So the four women that they were able to link 
by DNA were 18-year-old Jill Barcombe, killed in November 1977, 27-year-old Georgia Wickstead, who was raped, beaten, and strangled in December 1978, 32-year-old Charlotte Lamb, who was killed in June of 1978, and 21-year-old Jill Parento, who was killed in June 1979. I apologize if I uh, mispronounced any of their names. Words are hard. Uh, for these murders, he was facing charges of assault and strangulation. Alcala decided to represent himself in the 2010 murder trial, a la Ted Bundy, oh, and it was a wild ride. He yeah, asked himself uh, yeah. questions, phrasing <laughs> them as Mr. Alcala, and then answered them. He used different voices to ask and answer the questions, and this went on for five hours. Oh my, he interrogated himself for five hours? Yes, and used different voices when he was, like, being the lawyer and when he was being the defendant. And I'm he sorry, used a clip kind of funny. He used a clip from when he was on the dating game show of him wearing gold earrings to try and explain the evidence of Robin's earring being in his rental locker, but the jury didn't buy this. So, yeah, I wouldn't have either. Alcala claimed that he was at Knott's Berry Farm at the time of Robin's murder and claimed that he simply didn't remember killing the other four women. The other witness to testify, the only other witness to testify on his behalf was psychologist Richard Rapaport. Rapaport? Yeah. You like looking at my notes over here? <laughs> no. <laughs> Which you totally could be because they're in the drive. <laughs> Who testified that Alcala's memory lapse could be linked to his borderline personality disorder, which is BS because I will say this and I will never stop saying that you cannot blame someone's mental illness for murdering people. Plenty of people have mental illness and don't go around assaulting and murdering people. Yep. Plenty of people who don't have mental illnesses do go around <laughs> assaulting and murdering people. Like <laughs> it has nothing to do with the, 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 to me, it's not, it has very little to do with the illness and a lot more to do with the, the person themselves. Like, the person themselves and the lack of therapies of any kind. Or I, I mean the like, lack of empathy, the lack of remorse, you know, mm -hmm. all those things that these people are missing. Well, that's why they have that claim of insanity. Because yes. if you still have, you know, the ability Which, to tell right from wrong i mean which you can claim insanity but all that really means is do you understand what you're on trial for like they mm -hmm. like you can claim insanity but as long as you understand what you're on trial for you're not going to be deemed insane like exactly you have to be completely out of your mind to actually be able to claim insanity like, literally not know which way is up basically yes they make it very difficult um, which he never even tried to claim that. So the fact that this psychologist got up there and was like, oh, he has borderline personality disorder and that's why he doesn't remember. I'm like, okay, well, I know plenty of people that have borderline personality disorder or any other antisocial personality disorder. And, you know, they're not out murdering people. They're all very lovely people. So. It, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's, was it really that? Or was that just some kind of staple that they put on it just because that was the time and they didn't really understand? Yeah. I feel like that, to me, is just a cop-out. It's like, oh, we just oh, we'll give him this, well, like, Well, that's what they all thing. use, and it never works. Like, 
Yeah, it's, I very, see it's that... very few and far between that it actually works as a defense. Yeah. And so the prosecution had a surprise witness to testify for this hearing, and it was none other than his very first victim from 40 years ago, Tally Shapiro. Oh. And Tally Shapiro was able to witness justice for Robin, Samso, Jill Barcombe, Georgia Wickstead, Charlotte Lamb, and Jill Parento. With the DNA evidence linking him to all five murders, Rodney Akala was found guilty and once again sentenced to death for the third time. And this time it stuck. Oh, wow. Since the 2010 trial, Akala has been linked to more murders. In 2013, Alcala pled guilty in New York to the June 1971 rape and strangulation of 23-year-old Cornelia Criley and the July 1977 murder of Elaine Hubbard that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. For those murders, he was sentenced to 25 years to life. However, he was on death row in California, so he was never sent to serve that sentence. In 2016, Akala was charged with the 1977 murder of Christine Ruth Thornton in Wyoming. However, he was never extradited to stand trial for those charges. Authorities believe that he may have also been linked to the murder of Pamela Lamson in San Francisco in the fall of 1977. However, the DNA from that scene was too degraded to test, so he was never formally charged. And Tally Shapiro was not Alcala's only surviving victim. In February 1979, Monique Hoyt, who was 15 at the time, managed to escape after Alcala had raped her. And the exact number of Alcala's victims remains unknown to this day. Some believe that the total victim count is around 50, while others believe it could be over 100. Many have speculated that the number of victims could be as many as 130. And... 2010, police released photos that they had found in Alcala's possession when he was arrested in 1979. I believe these were also in the rental locker that they found the earring in Mm -hmm. that belonged to Robin. Yeah. They had hundreds of photos and evidence and wanted to be able to identify the women in the photos. To this day, many of these women remain unidentified and are feared to be more of his victims. It was with these photos, however, that they were able to identify Christine Ruth Thornton as one of his victims. That was the one in Wyoming. Yeah. Um, So they did identify her as his victim that way. And several women did come forward as women in the pictures and they, you know, were safe and, you know, had escaped from being one of his victims. Uh, But they still have a lot of pictures that they don't know who they are and they have no idea where these women are or anything like that. So they're still trying to work on that. Um, During his lengthy prison sentence, Alcala wrote the book You, the Jury, in 1994, where he maintained his innocence for all of his crimes. So so that's what I was getting ready to ask. Did he? So that was in 1994, but he did plead guilty in 2010 and 2016 to those murders in New York and um, Wyoming. So, okay. (laughs) <laughs> on July 24th, 2021, the world became a better place when Rodney Akala died at the age of 77 of natural causes in a California prison while awaiting his execution for his crimes. And while it may not have been the death at the hands of the state of California like he was sentenced, I'm sure that his death still brought a tiny bit of closure to those survi- surviving his victims as well as his two surviving victims. I hope that in the coming years, more women in the photographs can be identified and be found alive and safe. Sadly, I know that won't be the case for all of them. And this was the horrible story of the dating game killer, Rodney Alcala, 
May he rest in distress. Do you have a picture or can we find a picture of the ones that are still unidentified that we can post? I'm pretty sure that the FBI probably has those up and I will ha- I'll put a link in the show notes so that everyone can share those. Uh, we can share a link on our social medias too um, because they're still out there and they had hundreds of pictures. So I mean, they I'm sure seem some young. of them were. I'm sure some of them were duplicates. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as I know, I believe only 20 women had come forward when they first released okay. them saying that they were in the pictures. So I don't know, because that was in 2010. So I don't know if recently there's been more that they have discovered. But I'm sure, you know, here we are 13 years later, advances in technology, I'm sure, have come a long way. So uh, I will include a link to where you can look at those photos in the show notes and we can share it on our social medias so that you guys can get it out there. Uh, it seems I was a little surprised by the Wyoming one, but it does seem that most of his stuff happened in like the LA, California area. Yeah. And New York. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard of that from the documentary docu-series that I watched on the Hillside Strangler. Yes, because they did interview him as a suspect. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's where I've 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 heard his name. Serial, serial killer, just the wrong crime. So oh my it's a wild time to live in the United States then. Yeah, it is. That was yeesh. There's just so many that happened within that short period of time. It's like... Yes, so um, I use Murderpedia for... A resource and it sets up a timeline and it has several things in the timeline where it's like hillside strangler was active um i believe ted bundy was active at the same time a son of sam jeffrey dahmer um yeah so they, they had all these in the timeline it's like these are all the people and he was living in these places and john wayne gacy people, i mean they were yeah. all yeah, so he was, like, in California, it was wow. the Hillside Stranglers and Ted Bunny, and then, you know, in New York, it was Son of Sam, and he lived there during these active serial killers, and so there were a lot of things where they were like, oh, they thought this person had been killed by the Hillside Strangler, but it ended up being one of his victims. Yes, and I think that was the one in Wyoming, because the Hillside Strangler, or maybe it was Nebraska or something like that, but the Hillside Strangler did the same thing. And, like, went, was from California and then moved someplace else. And then they found another girl dead there, like, a couple days after he was there or something like that. And caught him and brought him back. Yeah. It was, like, a similar situation. That was, he went to Washington State? Washington, okay. I knew it was up up on the coast. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just. Wow. And I will cover all of those people at some point. Um. It takes a lot to cover a serial killer, so I have to, like, prepare myself for that. And so I was, like, dipping my toes in with this one. Yeah. So it's um, that is um, the horribleness that is Rodney Alcala. Yeah, that was – I have heard of him, but that was a lot more than I knew about him. I think – that is that your first serial killer? Um, I think technically Jane Tobin was my first. Okay, yeah. The Angel of Death. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that one. And Mary Bell 
they considered her a child serial killer, but she only killed two people. So I don't think that actually counts. Yeah. Interesting. So that's all I got for you today. So um, go watch a Disney princess movie or something to cleanse yourself from that. Yes. And if you want more from us, you can. You can go visit all of our social medias, which are Twitter at truly underscore creepy. Instagram at Truly Creepy. Our Facebook is Truly Creepy Podcast with Brittany and Sarah. We also have our Patreon, and that is the same thing, Truly Creepy Podcast with Brittany and Sarah. We've had some extras and some goodies that we have started to give our patrons. So head on over there and become a patron if you want access to that stuff. There will be more in the works, but we want to have some special stuff there. So if you want extras, If you want to see what we're talking about with all these other goodies, head on over there and become a patron. We also have our email address, which is trulycreepypodcast at gmail.com. You can email us there, ask us questions, anything you want us to talk about. um, Literally, Share your own personal stories. Share your own stories. Let us know what you think. Give us feedback. We want to hear from you guys. And as always, keep it truly creepy. Bye.